0: Welcome to the Warriors Arise podcast. Warriors Arise exists to educate and empower women to break free from the labels of their past in order to find hope, passion, and purpose. We pray that this message speaks to you. And if so, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a single episode. And please be sure to share with your friends. As a fellow warrior, you play a role an important role in delivering a message of hope and freedom to countless women who desperately need to hear it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Warriors Arise podcast. I'm Susie Hansen, and I'm here today joined with Stephanie Reed. Hello, hey, Stephanie. everybody. How are you? I'm fantastic. It's so good How are to you see today? you. We're so glad you guys have joined us today. Yep. And we are back here today for week two of the series, The Battle of Identity. Mm, right. Last week, we talked about the things that can shape our identity yeah, and how we can start walking in who God created us to be. So if you missed that podcast, you'll want to go back and catch week one of this series because it was such a good message yeah it lays a good foundation of what you will hear in episodes two three and four yeah it was great mm-hmm. make sure you go catch that um this week we have tyler botney here with Hello. us Yay. how are you tyler great it's so good to see you good to see you tyler and i go way back uh, way we way back. first met in like 2008 or nine we were just trying to figure that out yep and it's been neat to i've watched you mostly from a distance in these past several years but Mm -hmm. it's just been amazing to see how god has worked in your life and transformed your life and i'm excited for Mm -hmm. our listeners to hear about that journey and and where you are now you know you've had your own lifelong battle with Mm -hmm. identity and walking in identity crisis through your past experience, you know, addiction and incarceration, homelessness, mm. prostitution. Mm. I mean, you have really battled with that a whole mm. lot. But God. But God. But God. You have such an amazing <laughs> give him the story credit yes. of, of transformation Amen. Yeah, um, and just how God has radically changed you. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. What has your journey been? I mean... How do you think that you come to that place? You know, just what did you believe about yourself as you were walking through those things of addiction? And
1: yeah, well, I'd first just want to say that, you know, as you were sitting here and just kind of we were talking about how, you know, we've known one another, how we met, and how I met you, Stephanie, and just it brings tears to my mm-hmm. eyes because I'm just. Like, so grateful to have the both of you in my life because you knew me when I was just—we met when I was just coming out of, you know, that that season, very long season of my Mm -hmm. life of addiction, incarceration, and prostitution and all that. And so you've kind of, you know, I would say that y'all have, even though it has been far away, have, you know, been such a— huge foundation of why I am where I am today. Yeah. And so I'm very, very grateful to yeah. be here and
0: well, thank yeah. grateful for the I was sharing with
1: her earlier. So Tyler and I
2: met because she was mine of my husband's IHOP waitress.
1: <laughs> wow.
2: And we would go to the same IHOP weekly almost and do our Bible studies. And Tyler would come yeah. over there and ask us what we're doing and what we're studying and and the conversations just, you know, grew from there. And then really it was we were anticipating seeing you every week. It usually was on a Friday night. And so that is how our relationship grew. And then we invited you to church. And wow. and the rest is history. We've been friends ever since. <laughs> yeah. So I just love the beginnings, Small the world. humble beginnings. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, tell, tell the ladies listening out there, you know, First of all, like, what are some of the lies that you believe that got you into some of these predicaments mm. and these situations that you would call?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it was just self-worth issues. Yeah. I mean, at the at the root of it, you know, just self-worth, not being good enough. Yeah. Feeling like I would um, never amount to anything in my life. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that I was just, I was a no one, you know. So. Yeah. so did someone tell you those things or did you feel like the lack
2: of community or relationships in your life, whether that was in your family or friends around you, the thoughts just started developing inside of your head?
1: Yeah, I don't know that anybody actually ever said, you know, you're, you know, you're not good enough, but definitely there was enough negative talk, if you will, or Mm -hmm. just, you know, very in my household growing up, very quick to anger, critical, judgmental. So there was a lot of that that was happening. And so with that, and then just trying to figure out myself and who I was at a young age. And so those were just kind of how those thoughts were starting to develop. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, almost kind of like, it was what I began to wear, you know, it was like my clothing. And so Mm -hmm. it was just like, this is what I was putting on every day and what I was feeding myself. And then that's, you know, how I started to go down that road.
2: Yeah, man, I think we could all relate to that. As you're describing that, I can picture myself in many situations where I too was in those environments, like with my father, who was an alcoholic, who would bring his demons, if you want to call it, to our home. Mm -hmm. And things would be flying around the house. He would be very loud and negative and volatile. Mm -hmm. And me always wondering, is that what my future looks like? Yeah. Even though he didn't make me drink, or I never did drink, but I'm like, is that who I'm going to become? Yeah. And so, I mean, our upbringing definitely has has. Well, a role that's kind of what we talked yeah. about
0: last week. How you know different things can shape our identity. Yeah. For you know me, I talked about the sexual abuse as a very young child. I was four years old. And, you know, that went on for the next five years Mm -hmm. until we moved away from that location. And, you know, I began to act out sexually. And then, you know, in a prevention to stop me, I was told I was bad or I was naughty. And I began Mm -hmm. to wear those labels. Mm -hmm. And it is, it's like something you strap on and Mm -hmm. you believe that about yourself. And, you know, a lie believed is truth. You'll act as though it's true. And you just Mm -hmm. begin to act out those labels that you believe you are. It is your identity. That's right. Yeah.
2: yeah. And you're going to be able to really connect with several of you out there who are listening to Tyler's story. And, you know, what I know whenever I'm connecting with somebody, I want to know, like, how did they get there? Because I know how I got there. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. share with them, how did you get to the place where you fell into addiction, prostitution, all those lies?
1: Yeah. So my, my mom and dad divorced when I was eight and... You know, I was what I would say a daddy's girl, even though he was never home. He was not a great father, but he was a great businessman. But when he was home, I wanted to be with him. And so when they divorced, and, you know, then my mom was just not very present and still trying to, she was going through her own things and trying to figure herself out after, you know, now being divorced. And yeah. and then she remarried my stepdad, who was an abusive and crooked police officer. Mm. And so to watch this man wear this badge that said to protect and serve, but then would come mm-hmm. home and start drinking and get very abusive, mentally, emotionally, sometimes physically abusive, you know, that was kind of where I think, well, I remember one time in particular when I was in school and part of my story and, and what I share with it is that you know, there was a lot of dysfunction in my home and there was a lot of abuse. And like like I said, very uh, just quick to anger, judgmental, mm-hmm. critical, all the, all these things. But then you would hear the words, I love you. And so I had a really hard time understanding what love was. Yeah, like for yeah. me, love was all the things that it's really not. Right, you know? yeah. And so I would go to school. And even though I was getting negative attention, that's okay. These people are, this is a form of them loving me yeah. in a sense. Makes sense. Yeah. And so I really struggled with with all of that. But um, a friend had uh, introduced me to acid on a, uh, on a on a school bus one day. And I think it was just in that and experiencing the just kind of numbness of the emotional pain that I was living in for so long. And then, I mean, I, I would say that that's kind of where it all started and just began to seek out. These coping mechanisms that would help to numb the pain mm-hmm. that I was constantly living in yeah mm. yeah
0: I can relate to that yeah 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 I mean I was twelve when I was introduced to drugs mm. and you just you don't feel like you fit in anywhere you don't feel like you belong mm-hmm. and for me anyway mm-hmm. and I just wanted to belong I wanted to be accepted that's right because I I wore the label in all capital letters rejected yeah. You know, I felt very unwanted. And so you yep. feel like these people are accepting you in and mm-hmm. and, and it, it is. It's numbing. It's medicinal.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you know, I did a study uh, not too long ago on rejection. And rejection in itself is more harmful than like any kind of physical pain. Like the emotion rejection wow. is like the deepest of emotional pain that someone can experience. I
2: believe that. Yes. Yes. Well, we've also done some, you know, I do a lot of studying on psychology too because of the mental health of my family. And chronic rejection is also what births the spirit of narcissism. Mm. Because it had been rejected for so long that they developed this personality where no one can hurt me because I now kind of control my life. Yeah. You know, I am above the people who hurt me. So therefore they develop this ego to where... They can't be
1: hurt. Yeah, and it comes from chronic rejection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it runs a static, so deep. Scary thing. Yeah. So, but back to uh, just kind of how I got to you know that that place, and I think. Susie, what you were saying as far as just this feeling of being accepted and and feeling a sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. And so at first when I started using and I was still in high school and then even after I graduated and, you know, I had quote unquote friends and we would go out and we would party and we would literally be out from Friday night to Sunday. And we went to this one club called church, you know, (laughs) on Sundays, like seriously, we would be there till three or four o'clock in the afternoon. And it was like that every weekend. I couldn't hold the job. Hence why I said that a milestone for me was having that job for three and a half years um, earlier when we were in discussion. But, you know, and so but then one bad decision after another bad decision after another bad decision and not being able to hold a job, not having a place to live, led me homeless on the streets of New Orleans. So I found myself homeless on the streets of New Orleans and um, started dancing. In an entertainment club. And I just remember going in there and like not having a shower and having to wash off, just kind of take a a wash, you know, cloth and whatnot and just kind of rinse myself off. And it was just so humiliating um, that I didn't want to go back in again. And so kind of fast forward a little bit, but I, I, decided at one point of that homelessness that if I was going to be homeless, I wanted to be on the water because I love the water. Mm -hmm. So I went into the club one day, made some money, and was able to make my way to Florida. Mm -hmm. And by this time, I had already been incarcerated three times in New Orleans, and my mom had bailed me out those three times in New Orleans. And then when I went to Florida, I ended up meeting with some crack cocaine dealers. And they said, hey, listen, if you'll drive us around, you know, we'll keep you supplied with dope. And I said, okay, bet that sounds like a good idea. Drove them around for about two and a half weeks. And then one day we got pulled over and the cop searched my car, found the paraphernalia, found the dope, took us all to jail. And uh, and I called my mom that fourth time thinking, no big deal. My mom is going to bail me out. I got this. (laughs) That's my mama. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm good. And my mom said, you know, listen, if you're going to live your life like this, I can't have anything to do with you. And so I sat my time in, and uh, when I stepped out of Jacksonville jailhouse, so I had absolutely nothing but the clothes on my back. I had no money. I had no identification. Everything that I that I owned was in my car. My car had been impounded. I'm in Florida. I'm in a foreign place. I have no idea where my car had been impounded to. Even if I did, I didn't have any money to get it out. So I literally just started walking the streets. Yeah. That's when I got into prostitution, you know, deeper addiction into the crack addiction, and eventually had been incarcerated 16 times. Mm. So did you feel hopeless? Oh my I mean, gosh. Did
0: you feel like there's no way I can ever have a different life? I, I mean, just the despair and hopelessness. Oh,
1: I was done. I mean, I attempted suicide at one point of that addiction and that homelessness and hopelessness. Mm-hmm. You know, when I stepped out of Jacksonville Joe house that fourth time, I felt hopeless. Like the feeling of like hopelessness. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I thought, I mean, this is it. And then you know, just years pass by, and like I said, one one incarceration to the next, just chasing this addiction, chasing this 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 that the drug to numb the pain. Yeah. You know, yeah. and whatever I could do, even if it was only go have sex. This is horrible, but I'm gonna say it. I would ha- literally have sex for ten dollars just so I could go buy a, a dime yeah. of crack so I could get high to go do it again. Right. Yeah. Like that's yeah. how bad it was, and yeah. that's how like I just lost like I had absolutely no self-worth I had no idea like everything had just been stripped away from me yeah. and who I was and my identity and what well, I was one thing say that on pops that, in my but. head when you said when you called your mom for the last time and she
2: said if this is how you're going to live your life I want nothing to do with you I can only imagine the lack of self-worth you already felt so hearing those words from a parent. Mm-hmm. Not that she did anything wrong because she had to set that hard boundary with you. Yeah. But in the state of mind that you were in, what did that do for you? Was it almost like like confirming like you're right, this is it? The one other person that believed in me doesn't anymore. So I'm yeah, just done.
1: That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly it. There's yeah. really nothing even to add on to that because, yeah. you know, that's exactly how I felt. And I can see that. You know, I mean, like I said at one time, I was just like, you know, I felt like I was just a body taking up space in the world. And, uh, you know, God, it. this is all you have for me, then I want out. Yeah. And so I ended up wow. attempting suicide. And I was so serious about this suicide that the house that I was in at the time, there was a crackhead and an alcoholic that lived there. And so they both somehow held jobs and had gone to work that day. <laughs> and I blocked the doors with furniture, thinking if anybody came home for, for lunch, for whatever reason, I didn't want anybody to stop this plan that I had to kill myself. And anyway, God said, no. Yeah. <laughs> Here I am. That's right. So there
0: you were, mm. I mean, just desperate, hopeless, mm-hmm. in despair, mm-hmm. no self-worth, self-hatred. Mm-hmm. How has God brought you out of that? Tell mm. us about how he has transformed you and what that's been like.
1: Mm. He's still transforming me. Give us the good part. He's still (laughs) transforming me, Susie, every day. We're all a
0: work in progress. What was that moment? What was that turning point for you? He's still
1: working on me. The last time I was incarcerated was from 2006 to 2007, and years had passed. And uh, I just knew if I didn't do something different with my life, I was going to either wind up in prison for the rest of my life or I was going to be found dead on the streets. And so I called my mom and I told her just that. Again, years had passed since I had talked to her. And so long story short, she ended up coming to visit me. And she asked when I got out if I wanted to move to Oklahoma. She had moved here to be with her family and asked if I wanted to come here and restore, try to restore our relationship. And so moved here. And um, I just have to share this story. I know that we're short on time. It's so hard to get 40 is years in such a short amount of time, but— um, she said, you need to go to rehab. You need to go to counseling. And I'm like, I ain't doing none of that. And she said, well, how about we join the gym? And I said, okay, I'll do that. So <laughs> went to the gym. My first visit in the gym, I was on the elliptical for about 10, 15 minutes, sweating it out, feeling good, ended up getting a little bit dizzy, got off the elliptical, went to go sit down, ended up passing out, hit my head on a machine, was knocked unconscious, <laughs> Oh man! had to be rushed to the emergency room, had $4,000 in medical bills and staples put in my head. And I hadn't even been out of jail a week yet. So whereas most people would be like, you know what, that gym thing ain't for me. I was like, you know what, I'm really unhealthy. I need to do something about this. And so that was 2007. By 2009, I had a personal training certification. And by 2014, I stood on stage and I competed in my first bodybuilding show (laughs) and competed four times. And so when you ask, like, what was it like kind of what was my transforming thing? So I think. God started really working with me through my health and fitness, mm-hmm. which is kind of weird because I know, you know, we say that the transformation begins on the inside. And so, but we can't see that trans- that transformation right. happening, but but we can see the outside. And so, mm-hmm. while God was transforming me on the inside that I couldn't see— uh, he was also helping me on the outside. Uh, I don't know if I'm making any sense you right are. now.
0: Yeah, no, I totally understand. But
1: but so that's kind of how that's kind of how he he started transforming me, you know. And there's a lot of people who find power through health
2: yes. and fitness, yes, because it's also a transformative thing in your mind,
1: yes. Because
2: you're developing certain disciplines, you are thinking more about you know things that bring positive stuff to your life rather than negative mm-hmm. when, you know, even from a physical standpoint, even if we're just talking about food, yeah. but there's so many people who I talk to on a regular basis that say, you know what, my life was transformed by faith and fitness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. you know, so, That's right. But it's, it's all tied together because our bodies are temples of God That's mm-hmm. right. and he teaches us how to take care of them so we can do the work for him. And so speaking of that, you know, God has been doing something mm-hmm. in you, Tyler, that mm-hmm. is kind of birthed out of, what you just said, God transforming you through fitness. So what is that like? Yeah. Tell us about what God is doing now in your life.
1: Yeah. So in 2010, I was here in Oklahoma, um, mm-hmm. stopped at a train track waiting for a train to pass. And the Lord gave me the word misfit. And I was like, <laughs> misfit, where are you going with that, Lord? And he said, you used to be a misfit, but now you're quote unquote misfit. And I was just coming from the gym, and I was just like, "Oh Lord, that is genius!" Right? And I knew it came from him because I can't think of something like that. That's yes. just not—that is not in my my brain capacity to be <laughs> able to even think of something. Yeah, so cool like that. And so he gave me the the mission at that time, which was um, to empower and encourage women that are or have been incarcerated how to live a healthier lifestyle physically, spiritually, mentally. That was in 2010, and uh, but he said it wasn't time yet, mm-hmm. and so I put it on the back burner, and it was it has just been sitting in the incubator, you know, all this time. But one of the things that he showed me through this process is that you don't have to be physically incarcerated to be incarcerated by the mind. Oh man,
0: That's And so our language. <laughs> That's right, yes.
1: <laughs> so now, and this year, 2021, we've launched Misfits Ministries. And so I'm actually going into transition homes, sober living homes, rehabs. Uh, the goal is definitely to still get into the prisons, but haven't, haven't quite got there yet. And so I go to them, I'm essentially like a mobile gym, and I go to them and I take them through a one-hour workout that taps into body, mind, and spirit.
0: Wow. Boom.
1: Right there. Drop the mic. Yep. So I love
0: how you had all, we talked about all the negative labels and the things that had shaped your identity to Mm -hmm. that point of pivot where Mm -hmm. you said something's got to change and you started to work out. Tell us a little bit about how you were able to just renew your mind to start removing those labels to put on your identity in Christ, your true identity that led you to Misfit Mm -hmm. Ministries that's allowing you to do...
1: Mm-hmm. what you're doing today. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's really like a, a formula, so right. to speak, that I could give to you in that. But I just know like when I was in the gym and when I, when I first started working out, there was just something that happened in that, that was just like a clearing. It was like a dumping, you know, it was almost like, you know, if you want to picture like sweat, just, you know, I, and it's like, I'm I'm sweating out the toxins of this mental and emotional just mess that I had lived in. Yeah. You know? And obviously, I mean, being in community, I started going to at the time life church. Um, and so just really learning how to be in community with other people. And so it was just kind of a, you know, kind of a series like that, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: There's something that actually does happen physically in your body whenever you are working out, especially when you are, like you said, sweating, because you're not only detoxing your body physically, mm-hmm. that is a real thing. But mentally, what it's doing is, you know, it is giving you a sense of accomplishment. Mm-hmm. It's given you a sense of worth in a sense of where, you know what, I can set a goal and achieve it. You know, so for someone who walks around with their head held low, like many of you listening, I'm sure you've all been there because I know I have. Mm -hmm. And the moment that I can reach a goal or I can accomplish something positive, then my head comes up just a little bit. Mm -hmm. And each step, each thing that I accomplish, or even if I don't fully accomplish it, but I'm just proud that I showed up, Mm -hmm. then my Mm -hmm. head gets up a little bit higher. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think, like you said, it's one thing that you did Mm -hmm. from a working out standpoint, but I Mm -hmm. think it's you showing up every day, Mm -hmm. no matter how hard it gets. Yeah. You making the choice to fail, even if you're failing forward, but you're still showing up. Mm-hmm. So it's the whole analogy of getting on the bike all over again because, yep. you know, you fall over, you just get back up. Yep. And so I think it's well, probably what started it for you, and correct me if I'm wrong, is just making that choice to show up. Yeah. No matter what what the outcome is for that day. Yeah. And not give up.
1: Absolutely. And I think it's even so much a, 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 to dive in a little bit deeper is not even just showing up let's say, to the gym or showing up to church is showing up for myself.
0: There you go. What does showing, that look
1: like? Showing up for yourself like you are worth it. And, and telling myself, like it brings tears to my eyes, you know, like yeah. show up for yourself because you deserve it and you are worth it. Yeah. You know, okay. and I didn't, I could never tell myself that in the past, yeah. you know. And I hope you
2: ladies listening heard her say, you tell yourself It is the power Mm. of renewing your mind by using your voice, using your words. You tell yourself that you're worth it. You tell yourself what you want to achieve. And it starts by telling yourself look at yourself in the mirror or whatever it is. But it does, that's a great
0: point of showing up. Even if you feel the exact opposite of what you're saying. Yeah. You know, yeah. Because some days, a lot of days, especially in the beginning of your journey, you don't feel worth it. Yeah, and and it is hard to show up for yourself, but just give yourself a power talk and say, "I am worth it, and I do deserve these things, and I'm going to suit up and show up today, and
1: suit up and show up." Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> you can, can tweet that. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> suit up and show up. Yes, that's yes.
0: good.
2: So, Tyler, what would you tell somebody who is maybe still in their incarceration, yeah. mentally or physically? Because yeah. one day those physically may hear this, yeah, you know what would you tell them is one step that they can take when they kind of break out and they don't know what to do with their life. you know they are you walking the streets of Florida like, okay, what do I do now i don't I don't know anybody here. I don't know what to do with my life. I have nothing. What would you tell that person? What's one thing they can do?
1: I just think about that scripture that when you have the faith of a mustard seed mm-hmm. that you can tell this mountain to move and it will move,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I would say. You know, it's hold on to that mustard seed of faith. Hold on to that seed of hope, you know, and just, yeah, just trust that when you have that little seed of faith that God can do anything and everything through it. And it's tiny. A mustard seed is tiny. Oh, my gosh. It's so small.
2: (laughs) It's so tiny. Yeah. And to just think that's
0: all the faith that you need.
1: Yeah. And
2: we put so much pressure on ourselves to have
0: faith as big as texas (laughs) yeah (laughs) but it doesn't get there over time i like that you use texas (laughs) (laughs) like that plug in i'm from texas too if you happen to be listening in the houston area which is where misfit ministries is the home of yes you can reach out to tyler and find out how you can be involved and you can definitely be praying for Misfit Ministries and mm. Tyler. Is she continues to just reach these women who are at that pivotal place in their life mm. as she works with them, and we lift you up, Tyler. Mm. And we are praying for you, and we Thank support you, you and Thank what you. you're doing. And what a blessing it's been mm. to watch God transform you yes. as you have. So beautiful. Yeah walked out of that disparity and hopelessness Mm -hmm. to this life now where Mm -hmm. you are now where you were once needing to be rescued you get to now go be the rescuer Mm -hmm. you have such Mm -hmm. a bright light in your eyes Mm -hmm. and you are alive Mm -hmm. on the inside thank you now and it's just so apparent in the Mm -hmm. work that you're doing thank you and so thank you for everything that you're doing all i have to say is The
2: joke's on you, Satan. (laughs) (laughs) Right? The joke's on you. Right, So for those of you in the Houston area and eventually outside of the Houston area, if they want to get involved with your ministry, how
1: can they reach you? Uh, You can go to misfitsministries.com on my website. There's a contact us, and so you can contact me that way. Also on Instagram, inked underscore, the letter (laughs) N underscore fit. You can find me there. And then Tyler Botney on Facebook. Awesome. Well, we'll have
2: all that information in our podcast notes so that you can, you know, have
0: easy access to it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, what a fun day we've had. Thank you so much, Tyler, for coming. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. And we hope to see you again next week when we will have Sherry Yates as our featured guest. Sherry has overcome a long-term identity crisis with God's overwhelming love, and authored the book, Stuck, Pull Your God-Given Dreams into Reality. Until then, be sure to like and share this podcast. Warriors Arise is on a mission to deliver a message of hope and freedom to hurting women. If you'd like to talk with us, you can call us today at 405-482-4411. Or you can email us at info at arise warriorsariseministry.org. Thanks again for joining us. And remember, because of what Jesus did on the cross, you are not fighting for victory, but from victory. The battle has already been won.